Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Derek. Welcome to All Our Nonsense. If you're listening to this in the free feeds, welcome. You should also <clears throat> excuse me, subscribe to patreon.com slash allournonsense for more exclusive audio content. Um, it is at the dollar level. I'm not breaking anybody's backs. I understand that <coughs> Excuse me. 2020 was a very, very rough year for all of us, and we just hope that 2020, 2021 is better. Hope you guys all enjoyed your holidays, things of that nature as well. Um, yeah, I'm just here. Uh, I wanted to talk about Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, here's my quick synopsis of the film. Um, I watched it. I didn't catch it on Christmas. I think I watched it the day after or something like that. Probably the day after. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of people went on to HBO Max as soon as the film was available. I don't know anybody who actually uh, went into the theater to see it, but um, everybody I knows that I know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, saw it on HBO Max, and that's the way I watched as well. Again, um, I don't, I just don't know. You know, safety's a big thing to me. Obviously, I have a family, and I have to make sure that everyone's taken care of, and I have to do my part, and uh, I expect the same from them. So, yeah, I watched this from the comfort and safety of my own home on HBO Max. Um, I have my transgressions about the film. I wouldn't say it's absolutely terrible. I, that was the initial thing I saw on Twitter, and it's not just, like, from one group of people. This seemed to be the synopsis wholesale. It's just like, oh, this movie's terrible. Like, this movie's really bad. I can't believe this movie's this terrible. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I didn't see anybody um critique or discredit the actors i think that everybody just kind of thought that the script and the plot of the film was kind of bleh um i am a big superman guy and i'm a pretty big batman guy and this is not to say that i don't love wonder woman i like wonder woman as well i used to love the justice league and super friend the super friends cartoon when i was a kid was a big hit i watched super friends all the time if if somebody changed the channel and it went to Super Friends and I was doing something, I would immediately stop whatever the fuck I was doing to watch Super Friends. That's how big of a fan I am. Um, there's only so much I know about the lore of Wonder Woman. I'm familiar with Cheetah because she is Wonder, uh, one of Wonder Woman's biggest adversaries. But as far as a lot of the other stuff, I just didn't know. So for me, it's like, okay, this is a, this is a learning experience for me so I can get a little more ingratiated with the lore and the background story and things like that. <clears throat> so, um, again, the reviews initially were just bad. Just bad, bad, bad. And, and again, this is from the timeline. This is from the Twitter timeline. And I'm talking about I follow a bunch of different different people who are all um, <clears throat> from different walks of life and things like that. So it wasn't that I just got this from like people who aren't into comic book films uh not just nerds and people who are into comic book films and people who do know the wonder woman lore there were so many different people who were like i'm a huge fan this is bad i'm not a big dc fan but i don't really like this film blah blah, blah you know things like that i remember when batman v superman dawn of justice came out we were all really really hyped and it seems the synopsis was the same from everybody and that's why a lot of people are so hyped for the Zack snyder cut because not many of us thought that that film was good <laughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Just getting over some allergies and stuff like that. I do not have COVID. I'm just letting you guys know I don't have COVID. I'm perfectly fine. Just my allergies are going ape shit right now. So I'm dealing with that. But again, um, I didn't hate the film. Let me start off by saying that. I did not hate the film. I thought it was serviceable. I think it could be better. I don't know if we're going to get like something like a Snyder Cut or anything like that with stuff that was left out or whatever the situation is or was. Um... I think this just may be something 
that we have to just take as it is. However, they've already greenlit Wonder Woman 3 and the director, geez, I can't think of what her name is. She's automatically attached to the project. So they're at least getting another chance. They're getting another film. Um, we'll see if they're going to, you know, if, if the characters are going to evolve. Uh, the ending was a bit, you know, some people were like, you have to read this to understand the ending and things like that. Um, it just, the same way that I feel like you could have went with a different villain in, um, in Justice League, or maybe we're getting the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. So apparently in the Snyder cut, Darkseid is the villain. So I feel like it's not Cheetah. The cheetah did. I thought the cheetah was awesome. I don't think the problem is the villain. I think that just they could have went somewhere else with the plot. So um, the first ten to eleven minutes of the film are is just a sequence of Diana competing um, on her home planet, and um, you know when she was a child. So they take us back there, and I have no problem with that. If you're setting the story. I, no, never mind. I take that back. I don't have a problem with that per se. I don't think it was necessary to revisit that because a great portion of the first film took place on her home planet. We saw her grow up and get you know to her age and things like that. So I don't think it was absolutely necessary to go back there. Um, but you know, again, I'm not the writer. I'm not the director. This is what they wanted to do. So she grows up. We find her in the '80s. Now, this is the cool part about the film to me. It was extremely nostalgic, right? Um, and, you know, it. the setting is it starts off in this mall. And we see, how, like, all these 80s TVs commercials and things like that. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. This makes me feel pretty nostalgic because I'm 38, and I remember the 80s very well now. However, in 1984, I was only two years old, so I don't remember all of that stuff. Excuse me. But, <laughs> Jesus, excuse me, guys. I apologize. <laughs> The links that the producers went through uh, to recreate the period, you know, it, it again, it reminds me a terrible lot of uh, the most recent season of Stranger Things, where the the mall was the, like, the mall was a was just as important of a character in this most recent season of Stranger Things as the principal characters themselves. In this particular film, the mall doesn't get all that. Like it's it's when we leave Diana's planet and. We ascend on what would be modern day times. At that point, we're at the mall. There's this, you know, situation going down in the mall. Um, and keep in mind, this is also set in the DMV. And I don't mean DMV as in Department of Motor Vehicles. I mean D DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Right. So, um, you know, Gal Gadot returns uh, as Diana. Um, she seems really grief stricken. <laughs> And that's because I guess at this point she still misses Steve, you know, and that's the character that Chris uh, Pine played in the first film. Now, however, it's been 60 some odd years. Um, I guess Diana's pretty much immortal and eternal, so it, she hasn't aged a bit. Um, the first, the events of the first film take place during war, world, uh, world War One, which would have been. Give me just a second. Let me get that specifically. Uh, World War I 
one took place from July 28th, uh, 1914 through November 11th of 1918. So maybe it's just a little bit after that. Achoo! Jesus Christ, I cannot. Interestingly enough, Vox has an article uh, on the Google front page, How Wonder Woman 1984 Failed Cheetah. Why did Barbara Minerva want to turn into a hot, sexy cat lady? Um... Wonder Woman 1984 swings for the fences in 100, it's 150 minutes of runtime. The movie, the second in the DC's latest franchise, is both the return of Gal Gadot's Diana Prince and a wistful look at how lonely her life is. Chris Pine's Steve Trevor is back, too, despite his fate at the end of the first film. His comeback plunges the movie into a romantic reunion, unrequited love territory. At the same time, Pedro Pascal's dastardly oil tycoon Maxwell Lord is descending into his insatiable madness and succumbing to his thirst for power while also dragging the U.S. entrenched in the Cold War into an all-out nuclear warfare. Again, this takes place during the Cold War. Um, if you're not familiar with the Cold War, that's a war. It's like a war that necessarily... It didn't really happen. It's a time period where these struggles are going on between these com these countries, but there's not like a definite time. Uh, a lot of people mark the end of the Cold War uh, with the fall of the Berlin Wall. I'd have to fact-check that, but a lot of people mark that as the end. What we end up with is part romance, part 80s period piece, and a part glunky, clunky global political commentary. Oh, and it's also a superhero movie. But in its attempt to be all these things at once, Wonder Woman 84 does a disservice to what could have been its greatest asset, Kristen Wiig's devious performance as Barbara Minerva, a.k.a. Cheetah. The iconic comic book villain gets some screen time in the first and second acts of the movie, allowing Wiig to fa uh, flex her mastery of social awkwardness and cringe comedy as we meet the bookish Barbara. She and Diana are co-workers at the Smithsonian. And that's where they work. This is where uh, the beginning of the film in the 80s kind of takes place. Uh, and they quickly build a friendship after their first workplace meeting. But after Barbara and Diana make wishes that grant Barbara the superhero strengths and sex appeal, she envies over her new friend and give Diana her boyfriend back. The film largely forgets about Barbara. She becomes nothing but a secondary villain, a footnote in the larger story. This I have 100% of a problem with. And the funny thing is, I didn't have any of this. I have some stuff kind of about this in my notes. Again, I was just checking to see the dates of World War One, and I found this article on the front page of Google, so it came in perfectly handy. Barbara's uh, relative lack of screen time doesn't allow us to explore what makes the character tick. How evolving from a sheepish scientist to a sexy femme fatale affects her physique. Perhaps the movie showed it, uh, its hand in the first place. We never learned much about who Barbara is anyway, beyond that she's nerdy, lonely, and would trade everything in the world to be stylish, popular, and admired. But this service-level adaptation is a waste of a character who in the comic books is Wonder Woman's complicated, fascinating archenemy. There's actually three different versions of Cheetah in the comic book lore as well, so that's interesting. They chose Barbara Minerva, uh, which I have no problem with. Uh, I always thought that Barbara Minerva was a very, very interesting take on Cheetah as a character, so I have no problem with them going with Barbara Minerva. And I have some things I want to say about Kristen Wiig as well. Like fellow supervillains, the Joker, Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor, Magneto, and others, Cheetah's beloved and renowned for having her own array of traits and flaws. She's more than just evil. The beauty of these bad guys is that we, while we might not agree with them, we can fully understand why they act in the way they do and be a conduit to think about our own fallacies and tragedies. And a shallow Cheetah isn't, and a shallow Cheetah isn't just a disappointment for the viewers. It actually shortchanges Wonder Woman herself. Um, they don't make very much use of Kristen Wiig and they don't do her you know they and this is why this is my main issue there are some other little little things but one of them is is little but it's kind of big it's like uh it's it's one of those things like how did somebody miss this 
<clears throat> Barbara begins to film as an insecure, bookish, nerdy, lonely, single woman is a trope that a lot of superhero movies rely on to create their villains, particularly fem uh, female villains like Catwoman and Batman Returns. Yes, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer did great things for the character of Selena Kyle, but they made Selena a pushover, and that's how Max Shrek was able to try to kill her, which created, you know, turned her into Catwoman. Uh, Poison Ivy and Batman Returns. Dr. Pamela Isley, very sheepish, very nerdy in her own right as well in Batman Returns. And even Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey fame. Uh, the funny thing about Harley Quinn is I don't think that they made her that way in the Suicide Squad. I thought that um, Margot Robbie did a phenomenal job. She's gorgeous. She worked as a psychiatrist. and She played a very sexy psychiatrist without trying to be sexy, if you get what I'm saying. So I think that that really, really worked out well for Margot Robbie, and I think she did a great job. So I wouldn't exactly say it's the same thing in that particular instance. Um... A common flaw on some of these portrayals, though, is that the nerdy to sexy transformation is more concerned with the aesthetics than the character traits. These transform transformations ultimately leave the character's intelligence, emotions, aspirations, and interior life unexplored. The lack of curiosity is on display in Wonder Woman 84's Barbara's happiness is solely determined by the way she looks. She goes from self-conscious self to wearing skin-tight outfits and ends the film as an anthropomorphic cheetah without much explanation, and that surreal evolution says plenty about how the movie sees her. Um, the way they jumped from just Barbara being sexy Barbara to her being a full-out fucking cheetah, that was weird. I will say that. And that is one of the biggest issues I have with this film. Barbara's transformation in Cheetah in the comic books is a lot like, uh, is a lot, it's like a lot of comic book origin stories, messy and weird. Her story has been written over and retconned multiple times, but usually it involves a deity named Urzakartaga who grants Barbara godlike powers. Barbara either actively seeks out these powers or is cursed with them against her will. While these stories can be uncomfortable to read now, a lot of older comic book stories don't age well because of outdated, casually, casually sexist views. Um, yeah, they used to slap women around and stuff like that in comic books and basically have their way with them. Even if you read, like, an old Batman, like, if him and Catwoman went up against each other, like, he's full out beating the shit out of her. Like, understand that. We all know it's not okay to put your hands on women. You shouldn't put your hands on anybody. Definitely not a woman if you're a man. But these older Batman books, it's just like, nah, he's beating the shit out of sis. Which is crazy because she is a villain. How do you... Now we're in an age where you just can't do that. So how do you... How do you resolve an issue without there being some sort of confrontation? Well, I guess that at that point he has to use his bat gadgets. Because even if the police go after her, they're going to have to apprehend her. You can play video games where, you know, I was telling somebody, like, Streets of Rage was one of my favorite games as a kid. I don't know if it works today because you literally would beat the shit out of, like, female adversaries in the game. Well, lo and behold, Streets of Rage 4 came out last year, and it was one of my favorite games of the year, not going to lie. And you still kind of beat up on some women in the game, which is really fucking shitty. So... <laughs> navigating that particular thing can be very fucking tricky and it's like it's hard for anybody to walk the fine line that's why when you do a film like this you have a woman who's the hero and you also have a woman who is the the principal villain or should have been the principal villain the way they threw maxwell lord in there i thought that was stupid it should have been just diana versus barbara wonder woman versus cheetah you don't need 
they didn't need a male villain to carry this film. And nothing against Pedro Pascal. I don't think the character of Maxwell Lord was written very well. And he should have taken the back seat and it should have been all about Barbara, a.k.a. Cheetah. Um, and strange, one version of Barbara's origin story is that her transformation to Cheetah goes sideways because she's not a virgin, condemning her to a life of pain in human form. You see what I'm saying? Like, they wrote into the story that, oh, you're not a virgin. You had sex before Mary, before being married, so this is the curse that you're, you have to live with. This is operating under the same assumption that the reason that women have a monthly cycle is because God told Adam and Eve not to eat from fruit from that one particular tree in the Garden of Eden. And Eve was, you know, tricked by the, the serpent who in turn apparently was the devil and she ate the fruit. And because of that, women have monthly cycles and they have to actually endure pain during childbirth and child reproduction and things of that nature. Again, this is what we've been told our entire lives. Um, so the funny thing is, like, people don't understand how much religion finds its way into our comic books. Like, Superman legit is derived from the story of Jesus Christ. You know, it's God so loved the world that he sent his once begotten son that whoever uh, believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, Jarrell's um, love for humanity, he sent his son Kal-El there to earth to protect the humans and things like that you know however you look at it that's not exactly the thing but you know they did pull you know a portion of the origin of superman from the story of jesus christ in the bible so you know again that remember separation of church separation of state blah blah blah, blah. god shouldn't be you know <laughs> god's right there on our money it says in god we trust but they don't want religion. It's now like I remember when we were growing up, you said Merry Christmas. And now you say Happy Holidays because politically it's politically incorrect to say Merry Christmas. Someone could be Jewish or someone could celebrate Kwanzaa or someone could be a Jehovah's Witness and they don't celebrate any type of a holiday. So that's the kind of shit we found ourselves in. And this is not me bashing anybody's religion. I'm just giving you this. I'm giving you the facts, I, I guess. <laughs> In the comics, they at least tell us more about the character, what these new demigod-like gifts mean to her and how they affect her life. Granted, delving into the complexities of adding another god into the mix and how that shakes up Barbara's evolution, Urza Cartaga might have been uh, too, convoluted, too convoluted, I'm sorry, to spin into a story on screen. But what we got in Wonder Woman 84 had almost no depth at all. Barbara just wants to be beautiful, strong, and desired and all that. And that is all that drives her. This is why I'm a fan of doing... A film that's split up into two pieces i remember when they did that with harry potter and the deathly hallows the fact that they split it into part one is part two i thought was brilliant because the deathly hallows is way too big of a a conclusion to a huge story arc to do in one film however when they did it in film like i thought part one was great and then i'm so amped for part two because the end of that book when you get to the battle of hogwarts i think that's some of the best writing that jk rowling did um I know a lot of people feel a certain way about J.K. Rowling, some comments that she's made and things like that. Uh, I'm not an advocate for her. I do think that she is a brilliant writer. I will give her that. I'm not going to take that away from her because a lot of us have gotten hours upon hours of enjoyment from the Harry Potter saga and series and things like that. So um, the writing that she did in Deathly Hallows I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, I felt like it was extremely rushed in part two of the Deathly Hallows film. 
they didn't explore um a lot of the backstory with the gray lady and things like that when harry was seeking out the horcruxes and things of that nature i felt like it was extremely fucking rushed in the film the book does a much better job but in the same vein um i would have to say my favorite book in the harry potter series is um the half-blood prince uh goblet of fire is probably my favorite film but again i digress they it's rushed, but I like the idea that they took this grand story and this grand ending and did it a service by giving it two films. Not that I think that the second film is absolutely great, just saying that was a good idea to break it into two pieces. And then we saw other things happen like that. Initially, Infinity War was supposed to be two parts. Instead, it was Infinity War and then Endgame. But it's the same idea, right? It's the same principle where this this situation is too big to resolve in one film so it's going to take us two films to do it they could have done that here you could have done cheetah's origin in one film and the final conflict between her and diana in the second film that would have worked out better again maxwell lord had no place being in this film he just didn't and there i don't recall anywhere in the promotional materials for the film that I don't know if it was there. I just didn't pay attention to it because I just wanted to see, you know, Diana versus Barbara. So um, from little what little we do know of Barbara's personal life in Wonder Woman 84, it doesn't seem like she's got it too bad. She's smart and has a good job at the museum. She regularly brings food for, uh, for a homeless man on her walks from work. The worst part about being Barbara is that she doesn't get the attention of men whom she has crushes on when she gets her initial powers. From the mysterious dream stone that the FBI turns over to her for inspection, she's as happy as she's ever been. Far less lonely and much more respected by her peers, but we don't see how this so-called monkey's paw negatively affects her life, save for not remembering to give, her, uh, to give her homeless friend food and maybe being a little too physically aggressive in public. Because we don't know how truly bad or how good Barbara's life was before her transformation, it also doesn't quite work as a power fantasy. It could have been more powerful with Wonder Woman 84 explained how. Despite how smart she is, Barbara's been overlooked at work for promotions. For example, we only get scant traces of how ignored she is by everyone. The film would have been uh, would have even benefited from just a small explanation of how Barbara her, uh, found herself interested in gems in the ancient world in the first place. I'm going to stop right there because I have some notes. Um, number one, Kristen Wiig is a very attractive lady. Um, I find her to be extremely funny. When she was on Saturday Night Live, she was one of my favorite members of the cast that she was a part of. Um... My notes here, I wrote that Kristen Wiig did a phenomenal job. It was very awkward. Um, what the hell did I write? This is why I don't write often because a day later, I can't read my own fucking handwriting. Um, she did a very, playing that character, she was very, very awkward. And we've seen her like in that film, I think it was Bridesmaids, like this is a different version of Kristen Wiig. And we've seen her in SNL do so many different skits where it's like she has this range where she can go back and forth. And they did a very good job of displaying that because Barbara is very, very homely and mousy and things like that until she wishes to have Diana's powers to be like Diana. And what she didn't realize was she wanted Diana's sex appeal. She didn't realize that Diana was Wonder Woman because in the film, you have to remember, Diana keeps a very, very low profile as Wonder Woman. You know, the, the mall scene, she tries to make very quick work of these guys. So it's just this illusion like there was this woman here and she did all these fantastic things. And we're led to believe that these people are maybe going a bit nuts and they didn't. they thought that they saw this woman 
uh, in a corset and boots and things like that solve these issues. But you also kind of have to like it, it. This is a world where Superman exists, but you were to believe that he's the only person at like a demigod level, right? Um, in this unit, in the DC universe, this is really conflicting because for them to redo it. Christopher Reeve existed in the 80s, obviously, because he was our Superman in the 80s. But that's not tied to the current DCEU. Well, now you're bringing in Robert Pattinson to do Batman, and that's going to be like Batman Year One, which I fucking love. Let me be completely honest about that. But how does that tie into this? So at this point, we know that Diana Prince has been around since at least World War One. Chris Pine was a... Um, was in the military, his plane crashed into the island where Diana grew up, and that's how they met. When do the rest of them come into play? When does Bruce Wayne show up as Batman? And you know, When does he go through that whole tragedy? And then we have to remember that the Joker is part of this universe, but the Joker film is not canon to this universe. So every good thing that Joaquin Phoenix did in that film does not exist in this particular universe. Well, that's the late 70s, early 80s, but this is 84, so at that point, then Joker would presumably be there. But again, DC's basically saying, hey, that Joker film was like a one-off, and it doesn't exist in this universe. But you have to remember, we've already seen Ben Affleck be Batman and Bruce Wayne, but that was in the 2000s. Where does Robert Pattinson come into play? This is why the DC universe is really fucked up. They've pressed restart too many times. And... I haven't even, like, I started Birds of Prey and I couldn't even finish it. Now, I guess at some point I'll get around to finishing it. But it's like, you put yourself into this really, really fucked up space because you've done so much. And a lot of these films, they just didn't click with the public. And then you're like, okay, no, that doesn't matter. We're we're resetting that. To the point where Justice League is the ultimate team up in the DC universe. And you blew that. So now you got to do this Zack Snyder cut. And eventually, I'm just like, okay, so the, what what this is going to be is something like the Richard Donner cut for Superman 2, because Donner was let go, and, you know, all they, he still had all the footage, but they, I, I don't think the Sulkin brothers liked what he was doing with Superman 2, so they released the version that we all saw, and then we got the Richard Donner cut, I think like 05 or 06 or something like that. So it's like really fucked up. Um... But again, now the timeline's really fucking skewed, and I'm really con- like confused by all this. And it really kind of, it does this film a disservice as well. Like I said, the Snyder Cut, I'm thinking it's just leftover footage, but no, they went back and reshot a bunch of stuff. Like, And this is during, you know, present day. Like, this is in 2020 during COVID times and stuff like that. They reshot a bunch of stuff, and I'm like... Usually when you have a different cut of a movie, it's just stuff that was left on the cutting room floor, and now you're going back to add it and things of that nature. They reshot the whole fucking, not the whole fucking film, but they reshot a good portion of this film. So I'm a little worried about this, but I will tune in when it's released, and I will review it for you guys, and you'll find it here as well as Patreon. Um, The lack of foregrounding hinders the impact of Barbara's ultimate transformation into Cheetah. We're left to infer based on what little the movie gives us as to why Barbara is now a feline. In particular, Barbara turns into a cheetah because she needs to stop Wonder Woman from undoing all the wishes from the wish-graining rock. The rock itself, I guess, becomes 
I wouldn't call it a MacGuffin. I, the Rock itself becomes a principal character, and it never should. This is the Rock. Essentially, if we're going to borrow a page from Harry Potter again, the Rock itself is almost like a Horcrux, where Harry has to destroy these Horcruxes in order to destroy Voldemort. The Rock becomes basically the same thing. Essentially, it grants these wishes, but for Diana, it brought back something that she desired for years. You have to remember, we're going from nineteen. Actually, I think it's like 60 years. So it's like 1930 or something. It's probably right before World War II or something like that. Or maybe the Korean War. I'd have to... I, I, I don't remember. But we're talking going from like 1930 or... I'm sorry, 1920 or so to the 80s. We're talking 60 years. And she's been still... She hasn't dated. We're given the implication that she hasn't dated. She's just existed and done her best to, her best to stop crime and things like that. And she finds herself in the 80s, which, for all intents and purposes, being a child of the 80s, it is basically, in my opinion, the evolution of really modern life. Like, I understand you had the television, the radio, the microwave, all that stuff came before I was ever thought of. But you have to understand, cable TV is a breakout of the 80s. Pop music, which now, you know, pop and, and pop and rap, a thing of the 80s that evolved and evolved and evolved. You know, video games, huge. Obviously, I do a fucking podcast about them. Video games got to the point where they were the best and they became a real had-to-have thing in the 80s. When the Nintendo Entertainment System landed in the U.S. in 85, it changed things. And, you know, there were video games before that, ColecoVision and Pong and things like that, but the NES truly changed things. So the 80s, in my opinion, is probably the absolute precipice of modern reality because cable tv evolved into satellite and digital and all these things and it only got better camcorders showed up in the 80s like they had handheld cameras in the 70s and things like that and even the 50s and 60s i believe but they weren't as good as they were in the 80s and they only evolved and got better the cell phone we got portable phones in the 80s only evolved and got better um Every little thing, we went from Betamax to VHS in the 80s. Then we got DVDs and TiVo and all these things. So the 80s is truly the precipice of all great modern reality. Everything that's really good that we all enjoy right now, you have to really look back to the 80s. The NBA got better as a result of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Michael Jordan in the 80s. You know what I mean? Things like that. So um, she's truly living in the most modern time known to man at that point. You know, um, but again, she's existed for 60 years since Steve has been gone from her. And it's our understanding that Diana hasn't dated or looked at another man or shared her bed with another man or anything like that. She just goes to work and her life is pretty fucking boring. Um, so for them to just kind of throw Barbara into that and then just her cheetah transformation, they just really kind of dropped the ball on that. Um, uh, Barbara turns into Cheetah because she needs to stop Wonder Woman from undoing all the wishes from the wish-granting rock and even though she kicked Wonder Woman's ass in her current form maybe she needs to transform into Cheetah an apex predator she tells Lord to ultimately defeat her <laughs> the person who wrote this article says I guess who knows and this is, again and this is at Vox.com you can find it there but even if this generous read is the extent of it, there's no real momentum where we see Barbara reflect upon her lost humanity or weigh what it means to turn into a furry cat human. 
We don't even see the moment in which she turns into a cat. Maybe she likes her new form despite not showing any inclination of wanting to turn into a cat before arriving near the film's climax all colored in fur. Maybe she hates this trade but is forced to stay as weird, vaguely hot cat person because it's more agile than her human body was before. Either one of these storytelling options would be valid. It's a shame we didn't get anything remotely close to Barbara's uh, psychological state or interior life in WW84. Again, one moment she's a human, next minute she's got fucking fur and shit. It made no sense. Having her dress in like cheetah print and stuff like that in her human form, that was really cool. The implication is, oh, she digs cheetah print. If she had to be like a predator, she'd want to be a cheetah. That made a lot of sense. One minute she's a human, the next fucking minute she's got fur and shit. That made no sense, and this is where they dropped the ball. Uh, Cheetah's lack of development shortchanges Wonder Woman's depth as well. The most, infuri uh, most infuriating part of the film's portrayal of Cheetah is that it could have been an opportunity to show Wonder Woman's own flaws and heroism in relief. In the opening sequence during the Amazonian CrossFit Games at Thimsirica, a very young Diana's uh, portrayed going up against Amazons in their peak who are older, taller, wiser, stronger, faster than her. Yet thanks to her demigod blood and ingenuity, she begins beating each one in an Iron Man type of race. But bad luck knocks her off her horse and though she makes a sterling recovery and almost wins the entire thing, Antiope, the Amazon general who also mentors Diana, disqualifies her. Dan Diana throws a tantrum and she watches another Amazon win instead. And that scene was a little weird to me as well because she, as a little girl... And I'm sorry if these are spoilers. The film's out there. Like I said, it's on HBO Max and it's at theaters if you dare go into a theater. They're in, in this whole, you know, amazing race type of thing, this decathlon type of deal, whatever. And Diana's ahead and she's ahead very, like a, a, a very, she, not, she hasn't lapped them, but she's got good, very good timing on them. They're quite a ways behind her. And she's kind of gloating, riding her horse, looking back at them. And she turns at the last minute and doesn't see some brush from a tree that knocks her off her horse. Now, it was essentially like a very thin branch with leaves. I get she's riding very fast on this horse. I don't think, like, it's enough to smack her in the face and leave a welt or something like that at the speed she's going. It's not enough to knock her off the fucking horse. So then it fucks her up. They gain, you know, they gain on her. Her horse is gone. And eventually... I think she takes a different path to the end, and that's why they disqualify her. Even that part, they kind of fucked up, in my opinion. That, like, But again, I didn't think we needed to revisit her home planet and revisit her as a child in the first place. I thought that that made no sense. If this is the very first film and you're setting the stage, yeah, that makes perfect fucking sense. But we already know she comes from this planet of Amazons. Why do we have to go here again? And this, I don't want this to come off sexist like, oh, we don't need to see these women. That's not my implication here at all. We've already told this story. We've already set the story. What does this have to do with present day, our, our situation in the here and now? Because you're going back to when she was a child, and that would put her, if we're going by, they live outside of the U.S. and jurisdiction and things of that nature. It's a different, a totally different, um, I guess they don't, our calendar means nothing to them, right? So if Steve Crash lands there and Diana's, you know, presumably maybe 20 or so at that time, like, they're taking us back again and taking her back to being a child. This is, what, early 1900 or something like that? This is what, you can't keep fucking with the timeline. This is something I don't agree with. I don't think they needed to go back and revisit that because they told us that part of the story already. So, and again, this is not me being, you know, 
an anti-feminist being like, we don't need these women or anything like that. Remember, you have a supporting character or basically somebody who's, I think that the, the uh, Gal Gadot obviously would have top billing over Kristen Wiig, right? Kristen Wiig is number two. Again, I challenge you to go back in the promotion and see where Maxwell Lord was made to be a big deal. He just wasn't. He was not. It was supposed to be Cheetah versus Wonder Woman. That's the thing. So if Kristen Wiig has got top billing, why does Maxwell Lord get more time on camera than her? So this is, if you're thinking, Derek's a fucking feminist, this is my, this is the argument against that. I'm advocating for more Kristen Wiig. There should have been more Kristen Wiig. Um, so the, the writer of this article says, I love this scene because it showed that Diana, despite being good-hearted and wanting to protect people, she also has an ego. She's in love with winning and also always seeking approval, which director Patty Jenkins gets at in the first movie. In the similar training sequence from the original, Diana's seen smirking as she's kicking every Amazon's ass, including taking down Annie Elf herself. As she defeats each one, Diana looks up at her mom, Hippolyta, as if, she's, uh, as if proving she's the best will spur some kind of positive reaction. She wants her mother's praise, which led to Diana's biggest flaw as an adult. Diana absolutely hates losing. I don't think that's a flaw. I think that that's something, if it's a flaw, it's something I carry myself every day. I hate fucking losing as well. And I know a lot of people like that. When Barbara starts getting stronger and displaying the same power as Diana, Diana's desire to be the best could have been bubbled up, showing that despite being a demigod, she was just as human as the rest of us. Again, so they gave us a little bit and they took some of it away. She's grown up and again, it's been 60 years since the events of the first film. So understandably, I guess she should have matured, but she hasn't aged a bit, you know, in the face or in the body or anything like that, because, again, she's a fucking demigod. But she still should have the desire to be the best. But I guess she's been fighting on Earth long enough, 60-some-odd years, that she's used to kicking the shit out of people. I don't know if that's where Patty Jenkins was going with this. That's my understanding of it, but I could be wrong. It'd be more beguiling if Diana's beef with Barbara wasn't just about stopping Maxwell Lord and righting the wrongs of the Magic Rock, but also because Diana can't fathom being second best. Does she want to save her friend or is she threatened by her? Uh, maybe both. It would have been more uncomfortable to see Diana Way being a goddess in her love of Steve Trevor if just Barbara was in the picture and not Maxwell Lord. Again, too, Mel Mac too much Maxwell Lord, not enough Barbara. It should have been centered around Diana rediscovering Steve and this conflict with Barbara putting Maxwell Lord and him only wanting more power and things like that and him to be as easily defeated as he was made no sense. Um, eliminating Lord from the story entirely could have allowed for more time devoted to Barbara and Diana's story, granting them more emotional depth and more room to flesh out their parallel stories um, about loneliness, ego, admiration, and love. You know, all the things Lord received throughout the movie. Look at that. As in often the case with comic books, Diana grappling with her own flaws and her own humanity is more interesting to me than defeating a villain. Her superhero strength, invulnerability, and super speed do not guarantee that she's always better than the rest of us. Overcoming the ego and anchoring that power with responsibility is what makes Diana a hero. It's a shame we never got to see that journey. But perhaps if we're lucky, we might just get to see it play out in the just-confirmed third film. Barbara, uh, perhaps one where Barbara gets her rightful story to become Cheetah. Um... I don't know what you do at this point. Um, you, you can go back and revisit it, but, and this is, again, this is not me shitting on Patty Jenkins, but, um, 
I'm not going to say they shit the bed. It just wasn't the best telling of this particular story, in my opinion. Um, crazy things happen, right? Initially, we were going to get more Joker in the Nolan trilogy, right? And then, unfortunately, Heath Ledger. The plan was that, anyway, Heath Ledger, unfortunately, passed away, I think, in post-production of The Dark Knight. Um, so we didn't get that. Um, they killed off the Joker in, and the initial Tim Burton Batman film, which it would have been awesome to see Jack Nicholas and Jack Nicholson. I'm sorry, not Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholson and, you know, Batman go head to head. The funny thing is Michael Keaton never even wanted to do the second film. He had made a real estate deal and he needed the money to close the deal. And that's the only reason he signed on to do the second film. That's why Michael Keaton is not in Batman forever or Batman and Robin. That's the that's the prime reason. He only did the second one for the he needed the capital quote to close a real estate deal. Um you know again, I hate to go back to the well, but Harry Potter is the perfect example of an adversary, a a hero and his adversary going head to head toe to toe. Voldemort had been fucking with Harry since year 1 at Hogwarts and it took him 7 fucking years, right? Because we didn't get to see Voldemort return to form and have a body until the Goblet of Fire. And that is the fourth film, if I'm not mistaken. Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, Goblet of Fire is the fourth film. So it took him seven years to go toe-to-toe him and not like, you're my... I'm the hero, you're the fucking villain, I know you want me, and I fucking want you, fine, you're gonna kill all these people around me to get to me, fine, it's fucked up, but this is something as a hero that I have to endure, one day I'm gonna get you, and I'm gonna beat the fuck out of you, Harry Potter built it from the moment we saw this little kid, to the moment he's 17, 18 years old, or whatever, and he's like, alright, let's do this, because I'm sick of you talking shit, you've been talking shit seven fucking years, like, let's do this shit, that's the perfect build, we don't get to see that. The fact that Magneto was in the first three X-Men films, cool. They shit the bed on some of those too. X3 particularly. The fact that they went back and retold us this story and Michael Fassbender did a phenomenal job as a younger Magneto, that's really fucking cool. But where does it go from there? Oh, that's right. They did the Dark Phoenix and they really shit the bed and basically fucked up everything that they did and retelling the story of the younger X-Men and things like that. Fine, you fucked up there. Um, You don't get the payoffs because you basically have one villain per movie. Red Skull and Captain America had huge fucking battles, and they were relegated to one film to start off the Captain America trilogy. Um, The Winter Soldier and Captain America have had pretty big fucking battles and we know how that goes off but again they get one story and then we get civil war where it's cap versus tony which really is a build to infinity war and endgame but they're not you know they're not on opposite sides of the the conflict once you get to the infinity war situation it's like i hate you because you knew that he that your fucking friend killed my parents so i'm not gonna fucking talk to you but this other being from this whole other fucking world is coming down here to wreck shit, and I need you, but because I hate you, I can't reach out to you for help. And that was a struggle that Tony dealt with. Um, It's hard to get a payoff for a really good villain in a comic book film because 
you get uh, unless you get a star and that's why marvel's done it the best thus far because instead of signing guys for one film they would tell you like hey we want you to do this character but we need you to devote yourself to x amount of films going forward we're gonna need you until you know this is the payoff like six seven fucking films can you do this all right cool you know again rest in peace to chadwick boseman i don't know what his marvel contract looked like we got him in civil war <laughs> excuse me we got him in black panther and we got him in infinity war and in endgame there's no t there was gonna be a black panther sequel we know that he clearly is not going to be in that. They've already said that they're not going to use CGI to replicate him or anything like that. So, like, I wonder what Chadwick Boseman's contract looked like, how many films we were going to get with him. You know, with, with Marvel acquiring, with Disney acquiring, you know, the Fox assets and then getting back the X-Men characters, would we have ever seen the the Black Panther Storm wedding? That would have been interesting. We don't know. Unfortunately, again, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. Um the payoff is just as important as the story. And when you rush it, then you kind of fuck up years and years of, of material and canon where people have invested in into these characters and these story arcs and things like that. And you kind of just blew the pooch. And that's my problem with this film. But that's also my problem with a lot of comic book films. In principle, the X-Men films, because they didn't understand how to build the universe. Just like in the Fantastic Four films, remember there were the two where Chris Evans actually was Johnny Storm. And those were thought to be very, very campy. They battled Doctor Doom in the very first one. And then we saw the Silver Surfer and we saw Galactus be a cloud in the second one. And everybody's like, this is really campy. Don't do this again. And that was it. And then we get the younger version of the Fantastic Four where they're going to be like, no, we're going to retell the origin story. And Michael B. Jordan's going to be Johnny Storm. And, you know, Miles Teller is going to be Reed Richards. And I thought that Michael B. Jordan was dope. And I'm a big fan of Miles Teller as well. But they also inserted Victor, they inserted Doom in the first fucking film and then made him the principal villain. Dr. Doom, you can't do that right out the gate. He's too big. As a, Mar as a Marvel villain, you need to give Dr. Doom and Galactus the same treatment you gave Thanos. Hey, something's in the background. I don't know what's going on. Something's getting closer. I don't know what's going on. Who the fuck is this guy? This guy's coming here to fuck shit up. Oh, this guy beat the shit out of us. How do we rebound from this? You need to give him multiple films to build to instead of just throwing them out there like, hey, there's Doctor Doom, go fuck him up. That just doesn't work. And you discredit a lot of these characters. And that's what they did with the Cheetah in Wonder Woman 1984. And again, this is not me shitting on Patty Jenkins because the first film was fucking phenomenal. I think they lost their way here with the second film. Patty Jenkins is going to, the third film is already greenlit by Warner Brothers. So we're happy about that. I don't want Warner to 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 put the clamps on Patty Jenkins. Give her the time, opportunity, and the correct budget to do this right because they left us in a very precarious situation. And again, you just can't go from sexy-ass lady in cheetah print clothes to full-out fucking cat. That doesn't make sense to anybody with fucking common sense unless you're pitching this movie to little kids because when I go back and I watch Batman from 1989, I was seven years old. I'm like, wait a minute. This doesn't exactly make sense. A lot of shit I watched that I was a kid, I was I loved it. And I'm like, I remember telling somebody, don't watch The Goonies as an adult because it doesn't hold up. And they're like, you're nuts. I'm like, no. Watching it when I was seven, eight years old, it's one thing. Watching it as a 30-year-old fucking man, it doesn't hold up that well. So, you know, um, there's, a, there's a lot of things. Like, there's a scene 
in the film, and this is a period piece, and they did a great job with the wardrobe and and the set and the backdrop to make things look one way. And then I look up and I see a fucking Mercedes Benz G wagon from the the mid to late two thousand two thousand or two thousand ten, like. There were no G-Wagons in the 80s. Like, y'all really shit the bed this time. And again, this is not a bash Patty Jenkins party at all. I just want you guys to understand that I watched it. I have my perception and my take on the film. And others watched it and they have their perception and their take. I don't think it was terrible, but it's definitely not as good as the first one. A lot of other people are like, no, it's fucking terrible. I don't want to ever see this shit again. I am going to rewatch it and... Give it a give it the once over again, and I'll see how I like it. Um, but I don't have high hopes. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, um, this was the big film. This was like the Christmas moment because we all had to have virtual Christmas this year. You know, I I spent a lot of time on Facetime and things like that, and uh, with family and stuff like that because you know you really can't get together. So this was like one of the big Christmas moments. It kind of let me down, is all I'm saying. But again, I think Gal Gadot is in. Incredible. I think that Kristen Wiig is fucking incredible, phenomenal as well. I thought that they did a great job with casting her. I think Patty Jenkins is a phenomenal director. I think that, you know, I think it, every director is allowed to have that one film that just doesn't, you know, and I think this might be it. I think this just might be it for Patty Jenkins, but she's got a lot of great stuff in her future, in my opinion. So anyway, that's my time for the day. Um, Tell your friends, you guys, patreon.com slash all our nonsense. Again, my name is Derek. Happy New Year. Peace out.